Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. The flavorful history of frozen pizza. We check in on how the pandemic continues to affect our dreams and meet the dude actually taking advantage of Krispy Kreme's free donut a day offer for vaccinated customers. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. As you all know, for the past year, I've been closely following the various shortages around the world, especially the ones that seem a little odd at first, until you dig deeper into the supply chain or other extraneous factors and it all becomes clear. Well, instead, today I want to dive into one item that has seen a huge boom during the pandemic. A boom that is not at all curious and that I'm sure every one of us could have predicted. Frozen pizza. Even though delivery pizza was pretty much the only winner of restaurants during the pandemic, the New York Times says the combined revenues at Domino's and Papa John's increased 12%, or $434 million, quote, roughly equivalent to their selling about 30 million more large cheese pizzas than they had the year before, end quote. But frozen pizza did exceptionally well, too. Sales rose 19% from 2019 to 2020, with total frozen pizza sales breaking $6 billion. In Toronto, pizza restaurant owner Ali Khanlalani noticed at the start of the pandemic that his local grocery store was limiting sales of frozen pizzas to just four per customer. That's how popular they had become. Which then inspired Lilani, whose actual hot pizza restaurant had to close temporarily due to lockdown, to shift into the frozen pizza business himself, assembling pizzas that customers could pick up and cook at home. He even turned it into a frozen pizza subscription service. Side note, I once worked for a pretty weird nonprofit, and after our executive director left to focus on his own endeavors, we granted him a pizza pension. He got to cash in for a free pizza delivered to his house from his favorite local joint once a month for a year. Highly recommend it as an alternative, unofficial type of pension when someone leaves. But anyways, as for why pizza did so well during the pandemic, apart from the fact that it's cheap and a lot of people were on tight budgets and it's just a delicious comfort food, Jonathan Ways, the editor of Restaurant Business, told CBC, quote, He's not surprised to see the pizza business is booming in this pandemic-induced era where everyone is even more online than usual, since it has a long history of being far more technologically savvy than most other types of restaurants. Go back to the 90s, and pizza chains were actually the first restaurants to really embrace the web as a source of sales and ordering, Waze said. Nearly 30 years ago, Pizza Hut earned the distinction of becoming the first company to ever sell anything over the World Wide Web when they opened their web portal, then called PizzaNet, in 1994, end quote. Sadly for Pizza Hut, who won my heart with their Book It reading program when I was a kid, the dream of the 90s is no longer alive. They were pretty much the only major pizza company who saw revenues go down a bit during the pandemic, having been in the midst of a major strategic shift when the pandemic hit. But what Waze said about pizza and the internet got me thinking more about the modern cultural history of pizza. And fortunately, Ernie Smith over at Tedium had my back with an article he had just re-upped from 2018 about the history of frozen pizza. 
Like many great food innovations, frozen pizza was invented by several people separately, all roughly around the same time. It started with refrigerated, ready-to-cook pizza introduced to grocery stores on the East Coast in 1950 by baker Leo Jufra. And I love this 1950 New York Times article that Smith dug up about the refrigerated pies because pre-World War II in the United States, pizza was still mostly limited to Italian immigrants. So this article about Jufra's pizzas is basically describing how to eat pizza to non-Italians. Quote, Serve them sizzling hot while the mozzarella cheese still bubbles. The tangy pies have a bread-textured crust and are delightfully seasoned with oregano, thyme, and a variety of spices. Olive oil, generously brushed over the top surface, adds a rich aroma and flavor to this Neapolitan pastry. One pizza, about nine inches in diameter, yields two generous servings, or three for not quite such ambitious appetites. It's so hearty that all that's required in the way of accompaniments are a green salad and some sort of beverage, preferably cold. Chilled beer is especially good with the pies. And for a more elaborate dish, scatter anchovies, mushrooms, bits of bologna, or green pepper atop the cheese-tomato mixture before it goes in the oven. End quote. But Jufra's refrigerated pizza pies weren't in stores long before a number of others leapt into the ring with frozen pizza. One of the earliest patents filed in 1950 was by a man named Joseph Bucci, who was instrumental in cracking the formula that would prevent the quick-frozen pizza dough from becoming soggy and uneven when cooked. And there were others on the scene, however, too. Jack DeLuca created a line of frozen pizzas in Ohio in 1952 that took off so enormously that he was selling his pizzas in 300 different shops by year's end. DeLuca had nothing on Emile DeSalvi in Chicago, though, whose frozen pizza brand he called Pizza Fro sold 5 million pizzas in its first two years. But Smith says the real turning point for frozen pizza was with the first brand to go national, and it was started by a Minnesota woman who went from making pizzas for her friends to opening a restaurant with her husband to producing frozen pizzas that would quickly become the top-selling brand in the U.S. Their names? Rose and Jim Totino. Totino's was bought by Pillsbury in 1975, the Doughboy's first foray with frozen food. They'd be the ones to really leave their mark on microwavable frozen foods, with the invention of the microwave susceptor, that gray plastic film used to direct the radiation of the microwave onto the packaging and heat up the food to help it stay crispy as it heats. Quoting Smith and Tedium, the susceptor technology, originally designed for the company's frozen pizzas, quickly became a key element of microwaving anything with bread, with Hot Pockets being perhaps the best-known product to use them. Around 1985, Pillsbury sold retailers on the idea, and soon enough, it was everywhere, which helped greatly diversify the number of processed foods being sold in the frozen aisle. You may hate the nature of processed foods, but the fact of the matter is, for better or worse, the microwave susceptor has done more to change the way we cook foods than any other piece of technology in the last 40 years, with, of course, the exception of the Instant Pot, end quote. So frozen pizza didn't just change the game for pizza, it changed the game for all microwavable foods, and in a sense, for how we make food at home in general. Now, of course, many of us, I think, tend to heat up frozen pizzas in the oven these days, not the microwave, and the big innovation there came in the 90s. As a 2004 New York Times article puts it, quote, 
In strictly frozen pizza terms, the year 1995 was every bit momentous as 1066 or 1492, end quote. What happened in 1995? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't delivery. DiGiorno was first launched by Kraft in 1995, and their rising crust technology completely changed the game. Quoting again from the Times, Kraft's researchers were inspired in large part by three patents taken out in 1983 by General Foods of White Plains, which combined with Kraft in 1989. The patents covered the preparation and safe storage of frozen yeast-leavened dough, a complex process involving the meticulous addition of hydrophilic colloids for stability and surfactants to facilitate flour hydration and initial dough development. Kraft also developed modified atmospheric packaging, which keeps the pies bathed in an inert gas rather than and oxygen, which erodes the dough, end quote. When I read this, I was reminded immediately of the old commercials showing DiGiorno pizza's crusts rising as they're baked in the oven. DiGiorno's innovation, making frozen pizzas actually have a fighting chance against freshly made pizzeria pies, sent frozen pizza sales skyrocketing from $500 million in 1995 to $2.2 billion in 1997. DiGiorno no longer stands out so much better than the rest as others have adapted their technology and competition has increased the quality of frozen pizzas across the board, but after becoming the best-selling brand of frozen pizza in 1998, they have never once lost that title. And of course, the various innovations in the frozen pizza world have led to all other manner of delights from pizza rolls to pizza bagels and beyond, not to mention a number of political fights between the USDA, the FDA, Big Dairy, public school boards, pizza companies, and pizza lovers themselves. But those are tales for another day. For now, we can thank the mid-century inventors and their Italian forefathers for blessing us with this delicious at-home indulgence and for inadvertently helping countless families stay fed and small businesses stay afloat during the pandemic. Towards the start of the pandemic, a number of outlets started sharing the stories of the many people who said that since lockdown began, their dreams had changed. More vivid, more specific. People who had never remembered their dreams before suddenly recalling them in great detail. Studies were even conducted, with one by Deidre Barrett, a psychologist at Harvard Medical School, being turned into a book called Pandemic Dreams. And that study focused on the first wave of the pandemic specifically. Barrett found, quoting the BBC, When the pandemic initially hit, many people dreamed about threats like insect attacks or being unable to breathe. Then, during lockdowns and homeschooling, a common theme was being trapped in prison or being forced to take a surprise math test. However, after about six months, Dr. Barrett told us she noticed a significant uptick in people describing dreams about forgetting to wear a mask or being out in public and seeing others not wearing a mask. Dr. Barrett suggests that initial dreams, which tended to express fear of catching the virus, decreased as dreams about social anxiety rose. Many dreams became, I forgot my mask, and a social shame came over the dreamer. They were more concerned about getting out of there before anyone noticed than that they had made a mistake, she says, end quote. And now that many lockdown restrictions have been eased in some parts of the world, the BBC set out to see if people's dreams are reverting to normal or experiencing any kinds of shifts again. And for the most part, that sense of social shame seems to be holding up. 
People who recounted their dreams for the BBC overwhelmingly shared dreams about forgetting to wear a mask in a crowded place or being scared because others aren't masked. One said she accidentally hugged a stranger she thought was a friend and the stranger was horrified. Another study is now being conducted at Queen Mary University of London to determine if daytime thoughts about COVID have affected people's dreams. Valdis Narika, who's leading the study, says, quote, Some themes move between waking and sleeping, but there are some things in daily life that we never dream about, for example, browsing the internet, end quote. He says that's because it's usually things that arouse strong emotions that cross into our dreams. And Dr. Barrett adds that there's often a real-time delay. We usually dream more about our past than our present, which is one reason pandemic dreams may be here to stay, especially for those who were more affected by it. She said, quote, I wouldn't be surprised if two to three years from now we see dreams like someone is out in a restaurant and people are wearing masks, and when they wake, the dreamer associates it with the pandemic, end quote. And while 90% of pandemic-associated dreams have been negative, researchers have started to see people reporting more positive dreams with optimistic visions of the future, illustrated by things like clean oceans or fantastical visions like whales flying through the sky. So there is hope, and of course, there have been a lucky few whose dreams have not changed or been affected by the pandemic at all, like Kisa Kay from North Carolina who told the BBC that their dreams have remained unchanged and a welcome escape from the reality of COVID. Remember back in March when Krispy Kreme announced that any person who presents their COVID vaccine card could get a free glazed donut once a day, every day, for the rest of 2021? It almost seems quaint to look back on now with the multitude of vaccine incentives being rolled out around the U.S., Ohio's million-dollar lottery, which is being replicated now by other states, and New York City's free fries from Shake Shack. I mean, heck, I even passed an auto repair shop yesterday offering free state inspections if you get your vaccine. So vaccine freebies are just the norm here in the U.S., I suppose. But part of why the Krispy Kreme initiative made headlines, apart from it being one of the first vaccine freebies, is because people were kind of stunned that the company would actually give people a free donut a day for the rest of the year. Many people assumed it was a mistake, a typo at first. It, it seemed absurd. Some people raged about how unhealthy it would be and how Krispy Kreme was sending the wrong message. But surely, others reasoned, no one would actually take advantage of that. Well... At least one man has. Joe Caramagna, a comics writer from New Jersey, long established as a donut connoisseur among his friends and followers. Seriously, a local shop named a donut after him, the Joe Nut. He's been hitting up his local Krispy Kreme almost every single day since he got his COVID shot. Carmania tells Slate that it actually worked out perfectly because the only Krispy Kreme near him opened up a week before his second Pfizer shot, and it just so happened to be along his regular daily walking route. He goes for walks every day for his physical and mental health and said that the temptation of a free donut has helped him stick to his routine of walking every day. Technically, it's been 40 days since his second dose, and he's only gotten 31 free donuts because he missed a weekend day here or there, and on the first day, the store generously gave him more than one, so he didn't go back in the next day for fear of seeming greedy. And that's the big question. Do the employees hate him? Does he feel embarrassment over showing up every day just to get a free donut? Does he ever order anything else to make up for it? 
Kermania tells Slate that he's not sure how the employees feel, but they sometimes throw in an extra donut or two, and at this point they recognize him, so sometimes they have his donut ready for him. And he says he thinks he's seen them tossing out any weird-looking donuts from the conveyor belt in the back anyways, so they're probably not losing much money on him. Plus, while he's seen other customers take advantage of the vaccine card freebie, he's never seen anyone else go in more than once. And sometimes, yes, he feels a little embarrassed, some of his family members have been ribbing him about it, and he'll occasionally order other things, especially when they run a promotion for a dozen donuts or something. Which might sound ridiculous, what does he need with a dozen donuts if he's already snagging at least one a day? Well, turns out, he has three kids, and since he doesn't usually eat the donut right away, he often doesn't end up eating it at all because it will mysteriously have disappeared by the time he tries to get around to it. And as for any adverse health side effects, Caramagna's wife, a crossfitter, calculated the calories in and calories out for him. Not that those are the be-all, end-all of health, but just for one metric here. The original glazed Krispy Kreme ring donut that he gets has 190 calories, but he burns 192 calories by walking there and back. So he's losing two calories in this setup, which Caramagna says, quote, is actually good for me. That's all I got for you today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.